This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Also on the Hui Call app, I want to encourage you, if you have not yet already downloaded the Hui Call app, that you get that because you, uh, not only do you have a copy of the notes for today, but at, on the Hui Call app, uh, down at the bottom of the app is a button that says Missions. Uh, that's been up- updated this past week to take a look at all of our missions projects that we have and the missions, missionaries that we support. Again, every dollar that comes in goes into the hands of a missionary somewhere around the world uh, that's getting the gospel to the people who need it the most. Uh, we've been privileged over the last several years to, to support uh, four missionary families uh, up, up until this point. Uh, Jay and Tiffany Kopiap are missionaries to Papua New Guinea. Uh, Tiffany was with us this past week. Uh, she's originally from Kaneohe, uh, pregnant with their third child, and she's going to stay here until she delivers uh, for, due to medical issues and uh, also uh, citizenship and things like that. So you have the baby here. And so uh, we are blessed to be able to support them. Uh, in addition to that, we support uh, Josh and Ruth Lovegrove to Ethiopia and then Garen and Annalise Patrick to Nigeria. So uh, both sides of, uh, of Africa, we got covered. Uh, and then in addition to that, we also support Youth for Christ, which is a uh, local parachurch ministry that actually helps us to get into public schools here uh, and hold Bible studies and share the gospel and pass out Bibles, things like that. And so those are the, the, the four missions projects we supported up to this point. Remember last year I asked that God would give us the opportunity to support four new missions projects in the year ahead and that our giving would basically meet the the criteria of what we could do to help support these people because we can't give them support sporadically. It doesn't do them good to to get paid this this month and not get paid next month and so we want to make sure that we had enough coming in and I'm I'm thankful to be able to say today that we had a goal of supporting four new missionary families and we actually have enough funds to support five missionary families and so I want to introduce our uh, missionary families to you. Jay and Elisa Ballou are missionaries to Thailand. They've been there for five years. Uh, Angela and I um, had uh, Jay and Elisa both in our single adults class in California, and so I know them personally. They're doing a phenomenal work in Thailand. been there almost 10 years now, uh, and have been uh, th- at their church plant that they're at for the last five years. Uh, Dave and Debbie Board, missionaries to Cambodia, doing a phenomenal work in uh, Cambodia, and really all, all throughout Southeast Asia. Uh, they're right outside Phnom Penh, the, the capital city there in Cambodia. Uh, Christina Primo was another uh, single adult that was in our uh, uh, single adults class in Lancaster. She's been serving on staff at Cleveland Baptist Church uh, for the last uh, 10 years. Uh, and she's getting, preparing to go to the Ivory Coast as an uh, English teacher working together with a local church there. And so she's going uh, to teach English uh, to these folks who speak primarily French. Uh, and then she's using that as an opportunity to share the gospel with people. And so uh, excited for uh, Christina to be able to partner with, together with her. In addition to that, Jeremiah and Erica Roper, Roper uh, he's uh, retired from the United States Air Force, and they're preparing to go to uh, Naval Air Station Siganella in Sicily, Italy, uh, to take over work from Al Hamilton. Uh, Al Ham- Hamilton's been there for a while. He's getting t- ready to retire, and the Ropers will be taking his place. And so uh, Al Hamilton was with us probably three months or so ago. Uh, and for those that know Yojana Garcia, he was her pastor uh, over in Italy when she was stationed there. And so uh, we're delighted to be able to partner together with them as they prepare to go to uh, uh, Siganella Naval Air, Air Station there. And finally, our first missionary to the Philippines, uh, Doug and Becky Sisson. So they've been over uh, in the Philippines for 30 years uh, in General Santos City, which is a heavily Muslim area of the Philippines, uh, doing a phenomenal work over there, and we get the opportunity to be able to partner together with them. Again, if you want to get more information about these missionaries, where they're serving, what they're doing, any updates that they have and stuff like that, who we call it app, bottom button missions, it has a list of all these missionaries updated uh, as recent as this past week uh, with information from all of those. And so I want to encourage you, uh, take a look at those if you would uh, and get to know our missionaries and, and more importantly, pray for them. And so again, all these uh, missionaries on the who we call it app have contact information. Shoot them an email and say, hey, just want to let you know them from who we call it in Honolulu, praying for you this morning. Uh, that'll be a huge help and encouragement to them. John chapter 4 in your Bibles, we're taking a look at, uh, again, today, Mission Sunday, we're taking a break from our uh, study of Romans, and we're taking a look at, I've entitled today's message, Reaching the World Like Jesus. Every time you read the Bible, you should ask yourself the question, what is God trying to tell me through this? And as we read through the Gospels, and we read through the story of Jesus, we should ask ourselves, what's God trying to communicate to me? What should I get from this? What's the, what's the takeaway? What's the big idea? How can I use this information uh, to help me to be more like Jesus? John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse uh, number 1. And therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. He left Judea and re- departed unto Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. 
And he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now pause for just a second here. Samaria was a unique area in the fact that it was inhabited by, as you can imagine, Samaritans. Uh, Samaritans were an, an ethnic group that were frowned upon, you could say, by, by Jews. Uh, they were part Jew, they were part Gentile, which made them kind of an ethnic outcast, if you will. And there was a lot of racial tension between Jews and, and Samaritans. That's why Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan was such a mind-blowing story because here's a man who had been robbed and left on the side of the road for dead. The Jews passed by him. The Jew, Jewish religious people walked by him. But the one who stopped and helped was the person that nobody would want anything to do with, the Good Samaritan. Uh, and so that, that parable was mind-blowing because this Samaritan could actually be good in, in Jesus' eyes. And so, again, Samaritans were uh, kind of ethnic outcasts. There's a lot of racial tension there, and that'll play into our story when we get here in just a little bit. Uh, verse number seven. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. And then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So again, we see there, she's, she's even blown away. Like, why would you even speak to me? Verse 10, Jesus said and answered to her, thou knewest the gift of God, who it was that saith to thee, give me to drink, that thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. This woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and the children, and his cattle? You and I have the ability to, again, look at this uh, knowing what we know. And this woman asks Jesus, Hey, this is Jacob's well, dude. Who do you think you are? Do you think that you're better than Jacob? <laughs> She's asking God, if he's better than Jacob? Well, the answer is obviously yes, but, but again, Jesus is patient with her. Uh, he doesn't, doesn't blast her uh, for that conversation. And it says, verse number 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman will say unto her, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and says, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that thou saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh. I know the Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. When he's come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. It's interesting, as we look at Jesus and Jesus' travels here, he was going from uh, the place he was down to Galilee, and he says, hey guys, I need to stop through Samaria. And to the disciples, they were probably like, did he just say Samaria? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. And it was unique because Jews typically would go out of their way to go around Samaria. Definitely wouldn't go through it. Definitely wouldn't stop over for a visit in Samaria because Jews and, and Samaritans just didn't get along very well. But as we take a look at reaching the world like Jesus did, something that we need to pull from this particular text is this. Jesus was intentional about where he was. He didn't go anywhere by accident. He was where he needed to be on purpose. And so everywhere that Jesus traveled, he had a purpose behind it. You and I, wherever we're at, Jesus always has a purpose behind where we are. Some of you are here this morning and you say like, Hawaii's the last place in the world I thought it would be. Hawaii's so far from maybe where I grew up or where I'm used to being. Or maybe Hawaii's far from where you want to be right now. Let me tell you this, God has you here right now at this moment for a purpose. As we look at reaching the world the way that Jesus did, we need to see that reaching the world doesn't happen by accident. Jesus was intentional. 
we can't just hope that this world will come to Christ. It's easy for us to sit back and see the things that are taking place on the news, see things that are taking place in our society and kind of hoping that the job will get done. Maybe somebody else will do it. Maybe somebody else will reach those people. Man, our city's getting worse and worse. Maybe somebody out there will do something about what's taking place around us. It's easy to do that. It's a little bit harder to say, what should I do to make our world a better place? What should I do to change the trajectory of the way things are? And that requires not only introspection, but also intentionality. It's also going to require a little bit of sacrifice on your part. You see, the world will not be won to Christ by spare time and spare change. We don't ever find in Scripture where we kind of give God whatever's left at the end of the day, and he's happy with that. I was talking to my son Van this past week. He's reading through the book of Malachi. He's like, Dad, in Malachi chapter 1, it says that the children of Israel were offering blind and lame animals to God for sacrifice, and God was mad about it. Yeah. And so we began to talk about how we sometimes give God whatever's left at the end of the day and just kind of hope he'll be pleased with it. But God isn't. God always requires first place in our life. And if we're going to reach this world with the power of the gospel, it's going to require you and I to make sure that our priorities are aligned with God's priorities. Because it's not going to happen accidentally. Nobody in this room accidentally bumped into Jesus Christ. Jesus found you where you were, and he saved you out of the mess that you were in. And generally, in most people's cases, God sent somebody your way to bring you to Christ, whether it be a parent or a grandparent, a family member, a neighbor, somebody who lived down the street, a coworker. God used somebody in your life to bring you to Jesus. And so we have to ask God, hey, what is my part in helping people know about Jesus? You see, when we talk about going and reaching people with the gospel, somebody has to go where the harvest is. So again, in Ethiopia, the, the Love Groves live right outside the capital city of Adidas Abba. Five million people in that city. Five million people in that city. Well, we can hope that somebody's going to go there and, and do something great for God, or we can actually go. Now, I don't know how many people this week are ready to pack a bag and uh, sell everything that you have and take a duffel bag to Ethiopia and, and again, try to find a, a dirt floor somewhere where you can set up shop. But I'm thankful that somebody did. I'm thankful that God is still calling people to go where the harvest is. I remember going fishing with my, my granddad when I was a, a kid, and uh, my, my grandfather wasn't a, a great guy. He was an alcoholic and an abusive guy, but uh, he enjoyed going fishing. And so I asked him if I could go fishing with him, and, and I did. And he kept telling me, be quiet, because the fish, you're going to scare the fish away. Little did I find out later that fish, especially underwater, don't have great hearing. And so he really just wanted me to shut up and quit talking. Uh, but I found that out later. Uh, but uh, he had this thing, and again, mind you, this was like 35 years ago. It was a depth finder that showed, like, where the fish were at. And I remember just being enamored with that, like, oh, there's fish down there. Like, let's go over there. And the interesting thing was is that when we went fishing, we always wanted to go to places where there were fish. Kind of basic, right, to, to fishing. I mean, you wouldn't go in a, a fishing hole that didn't have fish. Nobody ever said, hey, nobody's ever caught anything in that bay. There's no fish over there, but let's go out and throw a line anyways and see what happens. Nobody does that. You always want to go where you're catching fish and like, oh, over this one spot, nobody goes over there and I know there's a lot of fish over in that area. Same thing where I grew up in Kentucky when deer hunting season came. There were places where you knew that there were deer uh, and that's where you wanted to go. When it comes to reaping a harvest for the kingdom, you want to go where the fish are biting and you want to go where the deer are prevalent. You don't want to go to some place where nothing's getting done. And so then the question comes, okay, where is this harvest? Where do we go to get people to Jesus? And to that, you can just say, throw a dart at the map, and wherever it lands is where you, the harvest is. I remember probably 11 years ago, 12 years ago now, God began to work in, in my life and my wife's life to, to bring us back to Honolulu for the purpose of starting a church. Why did we come? because we knew that there was a harvest field here that needed to be reached. When we had gone, come back here, I think it was 2010 or 2011, we'd come back here for a visit, and we were driving here through town, and, and my wife asked me, she said, hey, if we lived in Honolulu, where would we go to church? 
And I said, well, I named off a couple of Bible preaching churches here on the island. She said, no, no, if we lived in town, where would we go to church? And I, I don't know. And so I, we're at dinner, and I pull up my phone, start pulling up churches. And I, said, I wouldn't go to that church, wouldn't go to that church. That church doesn't preach the Bible. That, preach, that church is off doctrinally. I wouldn't go there. Uh, this church, I don't think it even exists anymore. And I said, hey, I, I don't know that there would be any place in town that our family would be able to attend church. We just wouldn't. And no lie, she said to me at that, at, we're sitting at dinner. We were sitting at Duke's in Waikiki. I was just getting ready to have hula pie, and she asked me this very troubling question. She said, don't you think somebody should come and start a church here? I said, yeah, that, that's great. Somebody needs to. <laughs> somebody, not me. Like, we're, we're fine in California. We were doing great. We just bought a house and putting down roots, had a great church family. My kids were in the Christian school there. Everything was good. Yes, somebody should. And, man, that, began, that question began to gnaw at me. Okay, if there's a harvest to be had, why isn't somebody going? Why isn't somebody going to do something about it? And there came a point where it's just like, okay, God, we'll go if you could use us. And so I believe in a church our size over the course of almost 10 years now that God is calling people in our church to pack up and go somewhere where the harvest is. It would absolutely throw my soul for somebody to say, hey, pastor, I feel like God's working on my heart to go to Ghana, West Africa, to either work with a church that's already there or to plant a church from scratch. Hey, God's dealing on my heart about going to the Philippines and getting involved in ministry there. Hey, God's working on my heart about going to El Salvador and working with missionaries there. Man, I would love that. And how awesome would it be for our Missions Emphasis Sunday to have you up here sharing your story about how God was going to use you to reach people on that field. And somebody's got to go, right? And when we think about seven and a half billion people in the world, 50% have never heard the gospel one time in their lives. Man, we need to have somebody who'd be willing to go where the harvest is. Now, that's not going to be the majority of us. And that's just the facts. So I'm going to give you a second option. Some of us need to stay where the harvest is. Look, we we don't have to go to the mission field to find people who don't know Jesus. We don't. There are people that you work with that you'll see tomorrow morning that you spend 50 hours a week with that don't know Jesus. When we moved into the other side of our building, for those of you who don't know, this wasn't always our main auditorium. Our main auditorium used to be over there where our super church kids are. That was our main auditorium when we first moved in. When we first moved in in 2013, the building directly across the street was on the first floor. They were just beginning to, to, to pour the second floor on that. And then we got to see it over the next several months just go up. One, one, they were building like a, a level a week. I mean, it went up really quick. And then there came a day where everybody began to move in, and they, they did a staggered move in, but in a matter of about two weeks, we got about 1,000 neighbors that were 30 feet from our front door. And statistics, demographics for Honolulu tell us that probably 90% of them don't know Jesus. So we don't have to book our tickets and get our passport to go to find people that don't know Jesus, we probably just need to walk across the street. We're probably going to encounter somebody while you're walking to your car in the parking garage today that doesn't know Jesus. And so again, somebody needs to stay where the harvest is. Some of you are going to be brought to a, a crossroads in your life and career at some point where you can go anywhere in the world that you want to go and do anything in the world that you want to do. And some of you should consider staying on the mission field of Honolulu. Just throwing that out there. It's awfully quiet when I say stuff like that. But here's the thing. Did you know that in the nine years of Huikala, there's been probably close to a dozen families now that left and then came back? And they didn't come back because they love Hawaii, they love surfing, and they want to be close to the water. They came back because they wanted to be in the middle of a harvest field where God was doing a work. There's been people who have turned down lucrative careers on the mainland, have turned down like family members who say, hey, we're going to give you a home if you'll just move back. And they say, I can't do that because God's got to work for me to do here. And these are people who get a paycheck from the church. These are people who just say, I want to be where the harvest is. I want to be where people who need Jesus are. And, and again, you can say, oh, well, people need Jesus in Dallas, Texas. I'm sure they do. But look, there's a Baptist church on every single corner there. Now, are they preaching the gospel? Are they reaching people? I don't know the answer to that, but here's what I do know. God brought you to a mission field to do missions work. And if you think that Christianity is just coming to church and singing some songs and going home until next week, you have missed the point of the entire Bible. And so I want to challenge you 
Maybe God is calling you to go. Maybe God's calling you to stay. But whatever God's calling you to, I'm telling you this, will require sacrifice on your part. If you decide to be a part of missions giving, you're going to have to take a look at your budget and find out what you can give to be able to support the gospel around the world. I'm asking you tonight to, to look into your bank account and dig deep to give towards a real deal need so that a family on the mission field doesn't have to load up in a taxi to go to the doctor. You don't have to load up in the taxi to go to church. You don't have to call a taxi to run down to the store and grab some groceries for dinner tonight. That we can say, hey, God has blessed us over and above like next level. We want to be a blessing. But again, we can't just say, oh, well, let me see what I got in my pocket. Oh, yeah, I got a couple of dollars. Let me throw that. No, 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 no. God's asking us to do more than that. God doesn't want our leftovers. God wants sacrifice. And again, some of you are feeling really uncomfortable because you're like, this talk of sacrifice, you know, is this a fundraising effort? This is not a fundraising effort at all. We don't have a thermometer up here that goes up every time somebody throws something in and we're just kind of clapping every time. No, 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 this is not fundraising. If this was fundraising, I'd have people coming up here telling really sad stories and people crying and, and I'd be, be turning the, the screws to you and trying to get a little bit. No, no, no. This is a matter of a heart for God and a heart for people around the world. But sacrifice is built into Christianity. Here's what Jesus says. If any man will come after me, he must first, anybody want to help me? Deny himself. <laughs> I got to take me, put it to the side. Oh, I've been saving for a long time to put new wheels on my truck. I'll put these big 20-inch rims on it, get some big mud tires on it. Maybe you should put pause on that for just a second and help somebody just to buy a vehicle. I'm just saying. Because if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, there's going to come times where you have to deny yourself. I can't tell you how many times Angela and I have had money set aside for a vacation, for a trip, for living room furniture and stuff like that, and we, we put that on pause to be able to help somebody who had a legitimate, real deal need, whether it's buying groceries for somebody, whether it's helping a missionary get something that they needed, whether it's helping out in a building project. There's been times where we sold cars and given the money that we had to a building project because there was a need, and here we did it gladly, joyfully, because... What we have doesn't belong to us anyways. But built into Christianity is automatic sacrifice. If any man will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But you see, we love the idea of when Jesus is enough and God's grace is good and God blesses our life. And then when we get to the words like sacrifice in the Bible, we feel uncomfortable. Friend, you can't have it both ways. We have to read the Bible in totality. And God has called us as Christians to always, 100% of the time, put other people before ourselves. That's just Christianity. So Jesus was intentional about where he was. He was intentional about what he was doing. Jesus was looking for people. We take a look at verse number uh, six in our text. Now, Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. Pause for just a second and find this interesting. Jesus got tired. <laughs> Jesus was, was fully God, but he's also at the same time limited the way that you and I are in the, the human body. Jesus was traveling, he got tired, and he sat down. Sat down on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, it means it was about noontime. There came a woman out of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Verse number nine, and then saith the woman of Samaria to him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, asked to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Here's the thing. Jesus went through Samaria on purpose, and he sat down at the well on purpose. Why? Because he was looking for somebody to talk to. He was actively looking for people. And if you and I want to reach the world the way that Jesus did, we got to start looking for people. we got to see people as a soul having eternal value. This is not just a person. This is someone that Jesus died for that has eternal value. These are souls that Jesus died for. This Samaritan woman, she would have been looked down upon. Not only was she a Samaritan, which automatically put her at an ethnic disadvantage. No doubt she was on the receiving end of racist talk, racist actions towards her. But on top of that, she was living in adultery. She was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. She already burned through five guys already. What was going on? Here's the thing. She went out to draw water 
in the middle of the day. Nobody went in the middle of the day. It was the hottest. And also, you, you got your, your water in the morning so that you could have it all day. She didn't go out in the, in the morning like everybody else because she didn't want to be around people. She went out when there wouldn't be anybody there, and, they, and surprise, here's the Son of God just sitting on the well. But Jesus saw eternal value in her. She wasn't just a woman who had been discarded by five other guys. She wasn't a woman who was outcast by her own people. She wasn't a person who was outcast by all the Jews who thought they were better than her. This was a person who had eternal value to Jesus. You see, when it comes to the value of people, there's no undesired people group with God. The Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1 says, I'm sorry, verse number 11 says, for whether there's Greek, no, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I don't know if while you watched the video, if you were struck with the idea that there were three ultra-white kids with blonde hair throughout that video. Like, and they, they, they stuck out. You never had a problem finding those kids, right? Don't you think it would have been a lot easier for the Love Groves to, I don't know, go somewhere like Ireland or Scotland or something a little bit lighter, per se? I mean, don't they want to be with people like them? Don't they want to be with people that they have something in common with? Don't they want to go to a place where their kids will feel comfortable? Or should they go where the harvest is and say, yeah, all those other things don't matter? Oh, what about our kids? They'll never grow up with other white kids in their neighborhood. Okay, is that a problem? Or or let me ask you this question this way. Do we feel like American kids are better than Ethiopian kids? I mean, some people are like, I can never put my kids through that. Put your kids through what? Living by faith? Some of you should put your kids through that. And, and, and do, are people in Ethiopia, do they have less value than Americans? Why? Because we, we have more money than them? Last Sunday night, we had Tiffany Kopiap, who was with us in, uh, from Papua New Guinea, and I asked her, Tiffany, the average person in your church uh, that her husband pastors, it's not her church per se, but the church that she, she's a part of. I don't want there to be any confusion there. The church that you're a part of, the average person who has a job there, what is their monthly tithe? And she said, about a dollar. So for those of you who don't understand, the tithe is 10%. So the average person in our church makes about $10 a month. Wow, okay, that's an eye-opener. I was talking with Josh at uh, lunch on Tuesday when they got in. I said, hey, Josh, average salary of a typical person who has a job in Ethiopia would be about how much annually? He said, probably around $800. And I said, no, 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 annually. And he said, about $800. And I was just like, what? And I just couldn't fathom. He said, you know, there's that the workforce in Ethiopia is so exploited because there's no jobs that the Chinese have come over and set up factories in Ethiopia and the Chinese are hiring Ethiopian workers. Get this, because they can hire Ethiopian workers cheaper than they can hire their own Chinese people. And he says, so a guy who works in a factory, 12-hour shifts, would probably make about $30 a month. And I immediately felt guilt and shame because we're sitting at lunch and my meal that I ordered cost $30. I'm eating somebody's monthly salary in one meal. And I just thought to myself, dear God, how fat and pathetic are Americans that we are bloated with wealth. Bloated with wealth. And what do we want? We want just a little bit more. We want to hang on to it just a little bit tighter. And I thought to myself, God, I don't want to hang on to my stuff. I want to take what you've blessed me with and invest it around the world. I want that. And Angela and I have this past week just prayed and asked God what our part is, not only for today's special offering, but also on our monthly giving through missions because we want to do more. And think about this for a second. That video, did 
did you see those donkeys laden down with all that hay? That was nuts, right? And it's like donkeys like carrying hay through town. And the cows just like out in the middle of the road and those two dudes walking with sticks and hitting the cows and keep them in line and stuff like that. Get this for a second. Like we look at that and it's like culture shock, like wow, cows in the street. Those two guys with the sticks, what are their names? Nobody knows. Where do they grow up? What's their home life like? Do they have kids? What was their relationship like with their mom and dad when they grew up? What's the burdens that they carry? Does anybody love them? I want us to stop looking at like, oh, wow, there's cows in the street and see that these are real people with real names that are going to spend eternity in a real place, either heaven or hell, based on what you and I do with the gospel. What you and I do with our paycheck. Like, I'm trying to get you to wrap your brain around these are people that Jesus died for. The, the people that are living in the jungles in Papua New Guinea are not less valuable than my children because my children are white and we live in America. These are souls that Jesus died for. Do we care or not? And if we do, we should put some action with that. It's one thing to just sit and go, wow, that's terrible. Hope somebody does something. No, 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 no. We have an opportunity to do something. I asked Josh, I said, you know, when I was growing up as a kid back in the 80s, there was all these commercials on TV about the people in Ethiopia and how you could adopt a kid. You know, $3 would, would you know, feed you know, X amount of kids for a day and stuff like that. And, and it was one of the first times I remember as a kid, you know, what you do is going to make a difference to these kids and show these, like, malnourished kids over in Africa. And I said, is it still like that, like famines and stuff like that? He said, oh, man, famine's real deal. Access to food, real deal. Um, he said, you know, finding, finding good food is nearly impossible because for us, we live close to a big city, but out in the more remote parts, it's, it's, it's rough. He said, even then, these people, like, literally have no money. And so he said, no lie, some of the people in our church wouldn't eat if it wasn't for us. And I thought to myself, heavens. Now, again, their job over there is not to set up a food pantry and feed all the people of Ethiopia. Their job is to get them Jesus. But again, can we turn a blind eye to the legitimate needs that are there? I don't think so. And so, again, I'm just trying to give us a real global view of the world because we get stuck in our little little bubble. It's just like, man, I ordered Domino's last night. It took too long, and I was bent out of shape about it, you know? But there's times where they've forgotten my two-liter of soda. Like, can you believe that? <laughs> and then you're just looking like, okay, I have nothing to complain about. But here's the thing. God hasn't called me to go to Ethiopia. If I thought that he did, just know this. I'll just tell you guys this because I love you. If I felt like God was calling me to Ethiopia, I would pack my bags and I'd be gone in 60 days. Just know that. Because I want to be as submitted to God's will as everybody else should be. I know for a fact, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's called me here. This is where I'm supposed to be. But I can't turn a blind eye to the needs around the world, so what do I do? I give. I give so that other people can go in my place, so that you and I can have fruit in other places, so that people can be reached in other places. I got an email from Josh, I don't know, six months or so ago, and he says, hey, our church is growing, we're exploding, we need to buy chairs, we don't have the money to buy chairs, chairs are expensive here, $5,000 to buy the chairs that we need. And I thought to myself, like, $5,000 might as well be $5 million to those people. They don't, they don't got it. And so I picked up the phone. I called my friend Chris Chadwick. I said, hey, Josh Lovegrove needs $5,000 for chairs. I said, you want to split them? He says, done. And I hung up the phone. And within 30 seconds, we had $5,000 to send to Ethiopia to buy chairs. And the chairs that they were sitting in their auditorium where people were hearing the gospel and getting saved, yeah, we, our church family, we bought those. Praise God for that. What else can we do? How else can we be used? We got, look, we got now eight other missionaries who have needs as well. What, what are we going to do with the need for the gospel around the world? I want to do more. But it's more than just wanting. We have to actually put action to it. And so again, Missions Emphasis Sunday today, Jesus was undeterred by messy situations. We take a look at John chapter uh, 4 in our text, verse number 17. And Jesus tells her in verse number 
16, hey, go call your husband and come hither. I'd love to talk with you and your husband together. And she goes, yeah, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, yeah, I know. Verse number 18, you had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not the husband. He said that truly. Most people look at that situation and go, whoo, too messy. <laughs> I don't want to go there. Many times for me, I'll, I'm just going to be honest with you and be transparent. I've, I've, I've tried to talk to people about my faith. Hey, I'd like to invite you to church. And people are like, I'm an atheist. It's like, oh, okay, sorry. Jesus wasn't afraid of that. That shouldn't be a showstopper for us. Well, I don't believe in God. Okay, that's fine. You're welcome to come anyways. Oh, I'm a, I don't want to get to it. I'm a Satanist. Good. We love Satanists in our church. You should totally come. <laughs> Is that a true statement or not? We love, we, do we love everybody? Of course we're commanded to. Love your enemies and those who hate you and despitefully use you. We're commanded to love them. Come to our church. We love Satanists. True statement. It wasn't a lie. But here's the thing. He thought that that would be like a, a bridge too far. No bridge too far with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is talking to a woman, literally, who has had five husbands and is now living with another guy. And Jesus is like, okay. You know why? Because the gospel is the cure for messiness. Whatever you got going on, the gospel can fix it. It's fine. He talked with the love grows, sharing, again, just families in their church that they reach and stuff like that. He says, it's not uncommon in Ethiopia for people to tell you that they're married to somebody, but come to find out, like, months later, they never actually got married. They're just, like, living together, having kids together, just going on with life and pretending like they're married, telling people they're married, but they're not actually married. You may look at that and go, whew, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole, right? Oh, no, no, you should. You know what fixes this? The gospel. Repentance and restoration. That's the gospel. It fixes everything. And if you're here today, know this. Jesus has the answer for what will fix you. And it's this. You've broken God's law. You've sinned against God. You deserve God's punishment. But God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Jesus shed his blood as a covering and payment for your sins so that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven now and forever for all sin, past, present, future, and it's cleaned up, buttoned up, and put away like it never happened. That's the gospel. So this woman who's lived with six guys now at this point, what's the answer for her? The answer is the gospel. She just needs to be born again, be forgiven of her sin, and now walk in her forgiveness. It's simple. It's easy. The gospel is the cure for all of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9 says this, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Take a look at this laundry list of wicked sin. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves and mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's heavy, but here's what he says. And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, that used to be you. You used to be a, a hot mess. But the gospel came and washed you clean of all of your sin, and you are now forgiven. You are now redeemed. You are now restored. You know, the gospel not only is the cure for that messiness, but it also provides clarity. Again, we, interesting thing, the woman at the well, she, uh, she's confronted with her sin, and she does what most of us do. She immediately deflects right? Jesus says, call your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, I know, because you already had five husbands. The guy you live with is not your husband. And she says, verse 19, hey, I, I think you're a prophet. Hey, I got a question for you. Uh, verse 20, uh, hey, I got a quick question for you. Um, you. Our people say we worship here in this mountain, but you say the only place to worship is in Jerusalem. Which one of those is true? Where should, where should I worship? <laughs> Funny, Jesus brings up her sin, and she's like, oh, I got a Bible question for you, by the way, right? Deflect. And Jesus tells us, hey, look, that doesn't really matter. There's coming a day when where you worship won't matter, but who you worship will matter. And so, again, gospel provides clarity for that situation. I can't tell you how many times I've been trying to talk to somebody about the gospel. You've sinned. Jesus died for your sins. He wants to forgive you. And they say, you know, I just have a hard time wrapping my, my brain around the idea of a six-day literal creation. And, you know, how does evolution fit into that? And, you know, uh, could theistic evolution be a thing? And, like, how does radiocarbon dating fit into the age of the earth? And it's just like, hey, time out. All of that doesn't really matter right now. You can, Mike could get the answers for that one day. But what you need to know today is you have sinned against God, and when you die, you will split hell wide open. 
That's our number one concern here today. Yeah, I know, but like, if Adam was the first man, did he have a belly button? Because like, uh, hey man, I don't know about Adam's belly button. What I do know is if you die in your sin, you will die and go to hell. Gospel provides clarity. None of that really matters. Well, well, what about, you know, this situation? Hey, man, I don't know nothing about that. All I know is you need Jesus. And so Jesus, she's like, should we worship in this mountain or that mountain? Jesus, doesn't matter because there's coming a day where everyone will worship the one true God, and that's what you need to know. The gospel also works if we work the gospel. The gospel is something that requires action on our part. That's why when Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, Verses 19 and 20. It's also repeated again in Mark, Luke, John, and Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always until the end of the world. Amen. Call that the Great Commission. Go, win, baptize, teach. What is the first thing you require? Go. Go ye therefore. You got to go. And look, we try to make it super easy for you to be able to go. I mean, we have to work it. We have invitations, really nice, I think beautiful four by four square invitations. I think they're practical. I think that they're helpful. Some people hate on them because they're not a conventional size, but I'm just saying. So no lie, I, my wife has been on me. Like, these don't fit in your purse. They get bent, and when, when you stick them in your purse, they get messed up, and, you know, they don't fit in a fanny pack, and just like, oh, my goodness. And so finally, I'm, uh, no lie, I'm sitting in my office, and she's told me for the 18th time, we need smaller tracks, we need smaller tracks. And no lie, I'm sitting there in my office, and I think to myself, what is the simplest, most basic thing that I can think of? And I thought, and, and like, I'm thinking that in my mind, and I get like a text message on my phone, I was just like, ooh, text message notification, like invitation to church, like, I'm going to do that. And so no lie, I made these little rectangle invitations that has a, what looks like a text message notification, on the back is the gospel. And I ordered a thousand of them, and I thought, that'll buy me some time for her to, you know, take her space. So, no lie, people love those. We were at a, a restaurant last Sunday night, and I had it sitting on the, the, the table for the, the waitress. I was going to put it in the bill when she brought the bill, and she didn't even get to the bill. She's like, ooh, what's this? And she, she picks up, and she looks at it, and she's like, can I have this? I was just like, you're going to get it anyways, but sure, you can take it. But no lie, people are like, oh, what is this? Uh, we went to dinner with some friends a couple of weeks ago, and I put one in the, with, the, uh, with the, the bill, and I put a generous tip in there. And again, if you're going to give a gospel track, give a generous tip. If you're not, give out Watchtower magazines, okay? Tell people you're Jehovah's Witnesses. Don't tell them you come to our church. Be generous, because God's generous, okay? No lie. And so I put a good tip in there, I put an invitation, in, and she came back, and she's like, that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. She was like, I'm a Christian, too. And we began to talk about where she went to church, and I invited her to who we call her. Again, we try to make it stupid easy for you to share your faith with people, but you have to actually do the work. If you say, well, I'm not really good at that, great, because this Saturday at 8 o'clock in the morning, we have a uh, class called Sharing Jesus. We're going to provide breakfast for you. We're going to provide lunch for you. If you have kids in super church, we're going to provide a class for them to teach them how to share their faith. If you have kids in nursery, we have child care provided for you so that somebody's going to watch your kids for you so you can learn how to share your faith basic. We're going to give you books. I'm going to give you a New Testament. I'm going to take you through it. We're going to highlight verses together. We're going to talk about how to start conversations. We're going to talk about how to answer common questions that people ask and just give you the tools you need to share it better because you have to share your faith. It's not an option. It's an obligation. And again, all of us want to see the world come to Christ. All of us want to see revival in America. All of us want to see people saved in Ethiopia and Nigeria and Papua New Guinea and, all, and the Philippines. We all want that. But how does it happen? By actual action. Somebody has to go with the gospel. So here's the deal. We'll go here in Honolulu, Hawaii. You guys get to go in Ethiopia. The Patricks will go in Nigeria. The Sissons will go in the Philippines. Christina Primo is going to go to the Ivory Coast. We've got the Ropers who are going to go to Sicily, Italy, and reach service members that are over there. And we'll just do it like a big team effort. But everybody has to do their part. Everybody. So we'll do the work of the gospel. We'll share. The harvest is always ready. We just have to look for it. Verse number 35, take a look at that in our text. Jesus says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. 
Again, we don't have to go on a mission trip to find people that need Jesus. We just need to go to work tomorrow morning. You don't have to walk the streets of some major metropolitan city trying to find people that need Christ. You probably just need to walk down your street. Take a plate of cookies to your neighbor, put an invitation to who we call on the top, and just go. I'm thankful once a month on the first Saturday of the month we have an organized outreach where we go out into our community and pass out invitations. We had somebody come last Sunday because somebody got an invitation on their front door. I'm thankful for that. But hey, look, if, you, if you're waiting for, um, for the first Saturday of the month to go out, you're missing the point. We go out all the time. I go out every day. And so I need, I'm looking for people to bring to Jesus because the harvest is all, always ready. Jesus says, you guys are waiting around like the harvest is going to come. The harvest is already here. And like some of it's going to be lost if you and I don't do the work that God's called us to do. So we don't need to wait around, maybe one day I'll serve Jesus. Wait around, maybe one day I'll share my faith. Maybe one day God will use my life. Maybe one day I'll actually be a missionary. Maybe one day I might serve God with my life. No, no, no. The time is now. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. Tomorrow might never make it. And so Jesus says, don't wait around. Interesting, as I read through this passage, verse number 35 here, take a look at this, if you would, in, in the text. Say not there yet four months, and then come with the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look onto the fields. Isn't it interesting that Jesus causes them, for whatever they're looking at, and again, if I'm reading too much into the text, I'll, I'll own that. But whatever they're looking at, Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes and look, because wherever you're looking is not where the harvest is. Whether that's me and what's going on with me or my work schedule and what's going on with that or the responsibilities that I have and stuff like that. Jesus said, hey, look up, lift your eyes up a little bit over what you got going on and look out there and see that there's people that need Jesus all around you. And when we begin to look even further than where we're at right now, we're able to see around the world to the plight of mankind and our ability to make a difference in the world. And would be to God that the filthiest, richest people in the world, which are the people in this room, would be the ones that would say, I'll make a difference. Hey, I might not be able to go right yet to a foreign country, but I can help somebody that will. Like, no lie. I, I imagine the people that we saw in this video, and again, every single person you saw in that video is a soul that Jesus died for, who has a name, who's going through some stuff that Jesus is the only answer for. Remember that. But imagine them... These people, I don't know, we load up 10 or 20 of them, put them on a plane, fly them, touch them down in, in Honolulu, and they bring them to our church here. And they begin to look around like, wait, this church has T-shirts and hats and like stickers, and they got this big, huge, massive screen, and an incredibly handsome pastor. Thank you. One person said amen. Like, like Josh, your, your folks never seen a handsome pastor before. I'm burden for him. I kid, I kid. But imagine them coming into this going like, these people like must like have a, a burn barrel out back where they're just burning hundred dollar bills back there. I mean like filthy rich people. I mean the AC, like you could like hang meat in here and it'll be good next week. Like you could buy meat here. Like imagine that. Like, imagine them just like being transported into this place full of the wealthiest people that they've ever met in their entire lives. Like, you stopped at Starbucks and spent half of my monthly salary buying brownies, cookies, and a pumpkin spice latte. Like, what? Richest people ever. But us, we're just like... Oh, I gotta leave this rock. It's so expensive here. I just I need to get away from traffic and I need to move. No, 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 no. Stop. I'm asking you to have a harvest mentality. Look up and see the harvest around you and see what you've been blessed with and what God's given you to accomplish much for the kingdom. <laughs> and here's final thought. Take a look at verse number uh, 40 in our text. John chapter 4, verse number. Uh, let's look at verse number 39. John chapter 4, verse 39. So this woman, after Jesus confronts her and tells her that he's the Messiah, she goes back and tells people in the city. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So get this. This woman goes back. She doesn't know, you know, 
John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know why? Because it hasn't been written yet. She doesn't know that. She doesn't know for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. It hasn't been written yet. She doesn't know whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It hasn't been written yet. What does she know? I found the Messiah, and it's Jesus Christ. And she went back and told, hey, guys, I don't have a lot of answers to everything that's going on, but here's what I do know. He told me everything that I've ever done in my entire life, and this is the one that we're looking for. And verse 39 says that many of the Samaritans came and put their faith in Jesus because of what she said. Verse number 40. So that when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he stayed for two days. Hey, Jesus, would you stay with us for a little while? We got a lot of questions. And he stayed for two days. In verse 41, and many more believed on him because of his own word. So, so here's what happened with Jesus. Jesus started with one person, and then he impacted an entire city. This woman, one, one woman that he touched went and told people, and they got saved because of her testimony. And then everybody else she brought to Christ. Hey, guys, you got to come see him. And they asked him to stay, and he did. And then many more people in, in Samaria put their faith in Jesus and got saved. But Jesus started with one person. Man, I would love to fill up Aloha Stadium with people who would come to Christ and how awesome would that be to rent out the Blaisdell and and me preach and you invite your friends and at the end we have an altar call and everybody comes down like a Billy Graham crusade. Wouldn't that be awesome? Angela, I had the opportunity. If you're ever in Charlotte, North Carolina, you have to go to the Billy Graham Museum absolutely fascinating. It's in this big, huge barn with a big cross as, as a window in the front of the barn. And you go around, it, it tells the story of Billy Graham and, and different things and Bibles that he had and places that he preached and stuff like that. It's, it's fascinating. And they show his crusades where he's like a Dodger stadium, you know, he's preaching the gospel. People are coming down like ants to come down to the front and trust Christ as Savior. And one of the things I love it is at the end of all of it, you go through this, the, the very last room is uh, about a four to five minute gospel presentation of Billy Graham at one of his crusades preaching a absolute crystal clear presentation of the gospel. And you cannot get out unless you go through the room where you hear the gospel. And at the end, somebody comes and says, we're going to be waiting over here to the side. If you have any questions about what you've heard, if you'd like to know more about putting your faith in Jesus, come talk with us. And man, people over there with Bibles open and sharing the gospel, it was phenomenal. But I think to myself of like how electric that would be to have a stadium full of people coming to Christ. We don't see that in the Bible with Jesus, ever. And, and truth be told, Jesus didn't really do that great with big crowds. If you read on in John chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 people, and then he gets into the gospel, and everybody leaves. Like, everybody leaves. It wasn't thousands of people come to Christ. It was thousands of people leaving Christ. So what you find more in the Bible, he found one person, and he sat down and he spent time with them. John chapter 3, what did he do? Sit down and talk with Nicodemus. John chapter 4, what does he do? Sit down and talk with the woman at the well. He values individuals. And then that's just a seed that gets planted that more people come to Christ. My dad is one of my best friends I've ever had in my life. Outside of my wife, he's my best friend. Love my dad to death. He was my best man at my wedding. Um, my dad led me to Christ. I don't know, I've never asked my dad, but I don't know that my dad has ever led anybody else to Christ in his life other than me. I really don't. Just simple dude, um, loves Jesus, made a, a gang of mistakes in his life, uh, but he's just trying to do his best to love other people and love Jesus. I don't know that he's led a, anybody to Christ other than me. But man, let me tell you, that one person that he did lead to Christ made a difference. Look, you wouldn't be sitting here this morning if my dad hadn't reached one person for Christ. You wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have the opportunity to partner with the Love Grows if it hadn't been for one guy who invested in me, my dad. So don't think to yourself, well, I don't have a big platform to speak from. You know, you don't need a big platform. Well, I don't, somebody told me one time, I don't really know how I can have a, make a difference for Christ. I don't have a lot of followers on social media. <laughs> what? That's... That's the most foolish thing I've ever heard in my life. You don't reach people by posting Bible verses out into the, the ether. You win people to Christ by sitting across the table with them and say, hey, how's it going? 
How can I pray for you this week? Hey, you've been on my heart a lot. Hey, what do you think happens when we die? Hey, what are you going through? How can I help? That's how you reach people. Well, I don't know if I'll ever have a big impact. <laughs> Your size of impact does not matter. You were never meant to win people to Christ. You were meant to sow seed. That's it. Love grows, man. They're just out there in Ethiopia just sowing a lot of seed. Someone's bringing forth fruit. Someone's falling on fallow ground. Someone's getting snatched up before it ever gets a chance to take root. They don't care. They're just throwing out seed everywhere they go. So final questions for contemplation. We're done here today. First of all, you need to remember that my witness is not limited by my Bible knowledge. My witness is limited by my willingness. Am I willing? You see, we think somewhere along the way, like, oh, somebody's asked me a question I don't know about the Bible. Nobody's going to ask you questions you don't know about the Bible. You just need to share your story. Oh, what about, are you a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib Christian? Hey, man, I don't know nothing about no tribs, but let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Well, I know, like, in the book of Revelation chapter 17, who's it talking about? Man, I don't know nothing about Revelation 17, but let me tell you about Jesus. He made all the difference in my life. Now, am I making light of you and I know in the Bible? No, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, people don't want to debate theology. People want to know, I've broken my life. How do I fix it? Man, I'm glad you asked. Jesus is the answer. That's it. Hey, I done messed everything up. How do I fix it? Well, Jesus died for sinners, and his blood can fix anything. Let me just remind you, Christian, anything that you've broken in your life, the same gospel that saved you is the same gospel that will fix you. You don't need nothing else other than Jesus. So I don't need to wait until I'm ready to share my faith. I just need to be willing. Man, again, woman at the well, all she's doing is, hey, here's what happened to me. I don't know a lot other than I found, I found Jesus, and he's the Christ. Next, everyone must go. To reach someone, where will I go? Again, in the Great Commission, go and baptize, teach. It requires that we go. Action. It's one thing to want to win people to Christ. It's another thing to actually be active in the work of winning people to Christ. Where do you go? Well, for some of you, you should start in your own home, making sure that you're loving and discipling the people that are in your own house. After that, you should look down your street. You should look in your workplace. You should look at hobbies that you're involved with. You should look at your kids' soccer team. Just look at, you know, other moms at homeschool. Man, you, you, you're looking for places anywhere that you can go. But I really believe this, folks. I believe that in our church, in a church our size, after being almost a decade old, God is calling some people in this church to pack it up and like go, go. I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. I can't look at a city of 5 million people in the middle of Africa with little to no gospel witness and us just sit here and think that it's our job to just sit back and sing, oh, glorious day until Jesus comes back. I think at some point we've got to say, hey, I don't know how much trade i got left on these tires, but whatever i got, I'm willing to burn them out for Jesus. I don't know what, what the future holds, but I want to be used for the kingdom. had the opportunity in 2019 to go to Malaysia, a city that's steeped in false religion and man did you see the massive need over there and even well-meaning christians that don't know the first thing about the bible and how to lead people to christ no discipleship program over there to even grow the christians who accept christ as savior and my heart was broken i'm just telling you this if i didn't know for a fact that honolulu was where god called me to i would have came home packed up my family packed a bag and split because I can't see a need in a country that size and just say, wow, I really hope somebody does something about it. And no lie, three years later, I'm still trying to figure out what my part is in helping the gospel get to Malaysia. So trying to figure it out. Because I can't just say, like, oh, I hope something happens over there. No, no, no. We're commanded to go. Where will we go? And here's the thing. If we can't go to where we need to go, what can we send or who can we send? Hey, man, I can't pack up and go to Ethiopia this week, so I'm just going to send on some of the best folks I know to get the work done on my behalf. And I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to stand behind them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to give financially to the work that they're doing so that they can continue to do the work that they're doing. And not just them, other people around the world in needy areas as well. Next, am I looking for people that need Jesus? Is that like really a priority in my life? 
Or am I just trying to make a buck? Am I trying to be comfortable? Am I trying to get better at my career? Am I trying to find what makes me happy? Or am I really like trying to find people that need Jesus? Do I see every relationship in my life as a gospel opportunity? Like I've been witnessing to our mailman for, man, almost 10 years. And he keeps saying, oh, I've already got a church that I go to. It's a church that doesn't preach the gospel. It's a false doctrine church. My heart's broken for the guy. He's old as the hills. But man, he's like, I'm good. Man, I keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Why? Because he's going to die and go to hell if, if he doesn't trust in Jesus. Like, i got to remember that my mailman, seriously, every person that you know is going to spend eternity somewhere, you take that seriously. Finally, this is really important. Are my priorities aligned with reaping a maximum harvest? Are my priorities aligned with reaping a maximum harvest? Like, I don't want to get a little bit of fruit. I want to get a lot of fruit. How do I get more fruit? How do I see more people come to Christ? Well, that's going to require action. Okay, tell me what I need to do. Well, first of all, you've got to be willing to go where you are. You've got to be willing to share. And again, you say, I don't really know how to share. Good. 8 o'clock Saturday morning, sign up, be there. Simple. I'll teach you. And you can see more fruit. Is my budget lined up with maximum harvest? Angela and I, for the last two decades, have put together a family budget every single time without fail, number one in our budget, line item number one before anything else gets done. Our tithe, which is commanded for every Christian, and our missions giving. 100% of the time, without fail. That, and again, that determines where everything else falls from. Rent, what type of car we drive, you know, how often we eat out, how much we get in groceries, all is driven by that very first number because God is always first in our life. That's not just lip service. That's just legit how we live our lives. I would encourage you to do the same because we've been blessed. The Bible commands you, us to do that. The Bible also tells you that God will bless your life if you live that way. And I'm just telling you, it's the best way to live. But then there came a point, no lie, where we kind of like maxed out what we could give, but maxed out. Like we couldn't, give, like we'll have to go get another job to give more than this. And no lie, but tell me we thought about that too. Where we said, then, God, what's the next thing that we can do to get more for the harvest? And no lie, God says, okay, you've given everything you can financially. Now I need you to give everything you have. Okay, what does that look like? You need to sell your house. You need to have a massive yard sale. You need to give away and throw away everything else. And you need to go to a city where there's not a Bible preaching church for that city. And you see you scratch off a piece of dirt and stay there till Jesus comes. And we said, okay, done. And no lie, I don't say this to, to scare anybody or make you nervous or anything like that. If I thought that there's another place on planet Earth that I could be to bring in more for the harvest, I'd be there in a split second. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has called me and my family here to this place, to this city, for the 400,000 people that live in the city limits, for the million people that live on the island, to the million and a half residents of this state, God has called us here because this is the place for maximum fruit bearing for our lives. So again, what did that require? A lot of priorities had to change. No lie, the house we bought in California was like our forever house. 3,000 square feet, huge backyard, three-car garage, uh, I mean, end of a cul-de-sac, bought a dog, put up a basketball hoop, like, we're living and dying here. And no lie, like in less than two years, we were gone, like packed up and gone. Why? Because we always said, God, we just want your will to be done, whatever that looks like. And that's where we wound up. I'm not asking you to sell everything you have and go to the mission field today. I'm asking you to be willing to do whatever God calls you to do. And it's a good place to be surrendered to the point where you say, hey, God, if there's somewhere that I could go and somewhere that something that I could do, I'm willing to do it. Christina Primo, who's uh, our new missionary, who's preparing to go to the Ivory Coast, 
She's basically raising her finances that she needs to be able to go there uh, and, and work alongside the missionary family that's already there. I talked to her on the phone this past week, and she said, you know, she said, I've been serving as a Christian school, t- school teacher for 10 years. And she said, I just asked what the next step is. And she said, I just went over there to see if maybe I could do it. And so she went over there to this missionary family, and she got opened up a bunch of different doors. She went to the university there. And the professor, no lie, just like, like Josh said earlier, the professor there had been reached by, by American missionaries 50 years earlier. And he told her, if you come here to Ivory Coast, I'll get you your own classroom on the college campus, and you can teach English, and you can tell people about Jesus all day long. You know what she said? Okay, I'll come. Well, doesn't she like want to like meet a guy and get married and have kids? I'm sure she does. But you know what she said she wants more than that? For Christ to be magnified in her life. So <laughs> I talked on the phone with her. I was like, man, we want to help. We want to get behind that. And here's the thing. She, she needs to raise about $3,000 a month in monthly support to be able to go over there and do the work that God's called her to do. I said, man, put our church down for $300 a month. Like, we're, get, we're getting behind this in a big way. And for all of our missionaries that we support, we support at least $250 a month. And that's, that's big for missionaries to get. Because we want to do our part. But again, we, we do our part here, they do our, their part there. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today, you don't know for sure that you're saved. Please don't leave here today without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.